Uh, we don't want to allow this thing to cause us to fear where we don't get out and share the word. Amen. Well, we're not bold for Christ still. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do, maybe they said it was going to come back around around this time because of the change of weather and everything and hit pretty hard. But uh, we want to make sure that we do not forget our mission. And then if we're, as we're Christians, we don't fear death. Amen. In a way, we invite it. You know, it's like, hey, I'm going to go be with the Lord, right? But I'm like Paul. I'm like, Lord, I'm torn between two desires. I would love to be with you, which is very much better, as Paul said. But I desire to stay here and bear more fruit. Amen. So should, there should be that tearing experience we experience. And of course, I want to be with you, Lord, but I want to do more for your glory. And I want to celebrate with you Thanksgiving. But I want to thank, celebrate with you Thanksgiving Thursday. Or I'm sorry, Thanksgiving Sunday. The name of this message is Thanksgiving Thursday or Thanksgiving Sunday. And I'm all for Thanksgiving Thursday. I love Thanksgiving, you know. Uh, give Lord thanks. What a, a day. I, I don't know how much longer it'll be around because uh, a lot of people, you know, our country has been turning more and more toward atheism. Even with all the propaganda and all the National Geographic and, and, and of government schools pushing Darwinism and all the promulgation and promulgation of Darwinism being shoved down everybody's throats for years, 90, about almost 90% of people still believe in God because they know deep down he exists. Even with all that brainwashing, it's like, no, you always hear the sports athlete or, you know, I thank God, you know, who made me, gave me life. It's like, the atheists are always like, oh, how come they're always saying that, you know? But he exists and we know it. Just look around you. <laughs> Everything just come into existence, this incredible design by itself, sense of morality, conscience, right and wrong, all that. Uh, we have all this wonderful, beautiful evidence of his existence, but we have the Holy Scriptures which verify prophetic evidence of who he is uh, being fulfilled and the resurrection of Christ, amen, and eyewitnesses of his resurrection. We have all this glorious truth and we, need, we should rejoice in it. And I'm all for Thanksgiving. Praise God for making turkeys. I love turkeys. They're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh and all the trimmings you know but uh praise god uh, for thanksgiving sunday because every sunday we get together should be a day of thanksgiving for us and the more you recognize why you should be celebrating thanksgiving sunday uh the more you appreciate thanksgiving thursday and the more you'll th you appreciate every day of your life and one thing i want to talk about today is i want to talk about communion the lord's supper called Lord's Supper, called Communion, called the Eucharist, you know. Uh, uh, Eucharist is actually a Greek word that describes what's happening at Communion, or the time when Communion is taken, which we'll talk about. Eucharisteo is actually the word, but we call it, translate it to the Eucharist. Uh, when you understand what's going on there, man, and you realize what kind of person God wants you to be as a Christian, and how he wants you to be a person that just doesn't give thanks one day a year on Thanksgiving, but he wants you to have a life of thanks living, and that he wants you to be a person that's filled with thanks. And you start to, the more you realize who he is and what he's done for you, and how he's given you a mouth to praise him, and that Jesus said, if they don't praise me, right, the rocks will cry out, right? We're created to know him and love him and relate to him. He sings over us, it says in Zephaniah chapter 3, I believe. He sings over the saints. The Father does. What in the world? Can you imagine what his voice is like? In Revelation, when voices speak, it says they sound like thunder. Think about what the, you know, <laughs> when the Father spoke from heaven, they thought it thundered, you know. It's pretty amazing, but I, can you imagine what it would be like to hear the Father sing? And why is he singing over little old us? We didn't do anything for him, ultimately, really, you know. How much more should we praise and sing over him who gave us everything and loves us so much? Amen. So it's a message called Thanksgiving uh, Thursday or Thanksgiving Sunday. And I try to have a different message on every Thanksgiving. This is, we've been together as a fellowship for 30 years now. Every Christmas message, I try to have a different message. I've been to churches where every Christmas or Thanksgiving, it's the same message they preached so many years in a row. And, I'll, and I'm, you know it, and you know the illustrations. You've heard them all before, and it's like, Something new, you know, something fresh, you know. Although it could be a really good message, so you're still encouraged. But I try to be, you know, I say, Lord, I want to make sure I have a different message. Do the best I can to do that. Sometimes there's a really, really, really good message that you might regurgitate in like 15 years later and just change it up a little bit because it's so powerful. So I understand that. But I want to talk about Thanksgiving Sunday. The scriptures tell us over and over again to give thanks. There's a emphasis throughout scripture that we are to give thanks give thanks to his name give thanks to uh god i give thanks to god for you 
Give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay? You have all these scriptures throughout the word of God. We're called to give thanks. And this scripture is inspired by the living God. Amen? And he's telling us to be thankful. And it's not that he wants to hear us say thank you to him. It's because he's a loving father. And he wants us to be people that understand what we have and what we've been given as good children. And, I, you know, I, tell, I told my children growing up, I tell my grandchildren now that they need to say thank you to people. They need to give thanks. Not because I want to hear the word thank you, but because I want them to be thankful people. I know that's good for them, amen? I know it's not good for them to be miserly. I know it's not good for them to be self-centered and, and narcissistic where they're unthankful they want, I want them to be believers that know Jesus and are, know what he's given them and know that life isn't just one big accident and there's no purpose and meaning to it to where atheists have admitted they, they, they feel thankful at times but they don't know who to thank. Well, look around you. <laughs> uh, deep down, you just don't want to be accountable to God is ultimately what it comes down to. So it's interesting. Uh, God wants us to become more like Christ, you know. And Christ gave thanks to the Father. We read that in Scripture. Even though he's God, but he became the God-man, amen, and was very, very thankful. And when we talk about Thanksgiving, the first communion that Jesus gave was filled with thanks. He said thanks over and over and over again. And it's important to understand that that Thanksgiving was right before, the day before he was crucified. And he was giving thanks in the midst of what would seem to be horrific circumstances. He was giving thanks even before he went to the cross. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that. Sweating as it were, drops of sweat mixed with blood because of the stress he was under. His capillaries popped. And he is giving, he's seeking the Father. But in the midst of all this scene, he's giving thanks. He's going to go to the cross because he recognized the significance of what's going on. It says, because of the joy that was set before him, he endured this hostility of the cross. It was painful, but he saw the joy before him. He knew there was a bigger picture. That he was, it was all part of God's plan and that he is the God-man fulfilling uh, the scriptures as the word made flesh, even though it was going to be the most painful and anguishing thing anybody would ever go through. Just thinking and contemplating going through that for you and me would just probably kill us if we really understood if we were facing that because he was sweating Sweat with blood, you know, hematidosis. We just would have died of heart attacks or whatever, you know, or run the other way. We never probably would have set our face like Flint, as it says he did to Jerusalem. And it's interesting because you have to understand the Passover service did not happen in a vacuum. The, the mini Passover, the communion service, the Eucharist service, the Lord's Supper, it happened because for 1,500 years prior to that, they had been celebrating the Passover, from God setting them free from Egypt. Amen? Amen? There was the Passover blood that was put on the doorpost and the lintel, which formed a cross, right? And the death angel would pass over each house so the, death born, death, the firstborn would not be put to death. And God had them celebrate the Passover. And they celebrated the Passover with unleavened bread and with the killing of an innocent lamb and they didn't understand they thought it was all to remember that deliverance and it was much of it but also look forward to who look forward to jesus who paul says in first corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 christ christ our passover was crucified for us john the baptist said of jesus when he came on the scene behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world amen and isaiah 53 said he'll be like a sheep before his shears in the old testament 700 years before jesus came amen and uh, uh, we read in David in, chapter, in Psalm chapter 22 where his hands and his feet would be pierced and they'd you know, divide his garments. And in those days, uh, they pierced. When you saw a lamb being roasted, uh, and I've seen it in other parts of the world, it's spread out like a, like, like a crucifixion on the spit because it's legs and stuff. And that was going on. The very day that Christ was crucified was on Passover day, amen. And so the Jews would celebrate Passover for about 1,500 years before Christ died on Passover day as the ultimate Passover lamb. And when they celebrated that day, it was a day for them of remembrance. But the scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 13, I'm sorry, in Hosea chapter 13, that God speaks to us in similitudes, in parables, amen? 
And in typologies, we read throughout Scripture, the word tupas, that God speaks in types and pictures and shadows, foreshadowing what's going to happen in the future through events in history. And Passover pointed to the, his son, who would be the ultimate Lamb of God. So when Jesus was celebrating this Passover, he said, it's my desire to celebrate Passover with you. That's what he said right before they had communion. You have to understand the communion service was a Passover service. So the day before Passover, they were celebrating Passover. And there's some evidence that the Galileans celebrated Passover the day before the Jews in Jerusalem, which is kind of interesting. I read some of the historical evidence on that. It's quite compelling. Uh, and that would have been the Galileans' Passover. Or we could say, hey, it wasn't because of that, but it's because Jesus wanted to celebrate it with them because the next, that evening he's going, to be cruci- he's going to be arrested and the next day crucified, right? Either way, it worked out perfectly. So it's important to understand it was a day of remembrance. Passover was a day of remembrance. But I want you to understand before we even talk about that, a remembrance of what God did in delivering them from Egypt. Remember, we celebrate full-blown Passover service minus a literal physical lamb, right? Jack Haynes has led us in several of those through the years where it's Christ in the Passover, right? It's so beautiful. Just talked to Jack last night on the phone. It was a great talk. Great brother. Love that family in Tennessee right now. Keep them in prayer. But it's interesting because, uh, and I've, I've participated in the Passover service with about four other pastor, Calvary Chapel pastors years ago. We each took a part, and it was a glorious time uh, together, which is festive, and it's just, it's such a beautiful time. But you know what? The Jews are doing that by way of remembering God delivering them. It's a beautiful thing. But there's far more to it. And when Jesus is celebrating Passover, he's letting them know, remember how we take out the afikoman? Remember we take the afikoman, the unity? And in the unity is how many pieces of bread? And that's in every Jewish Passover. Unless they skip it, there's three pieces of matzah, unleavened, which is a picture of sin, pierced, bruised, striped, pierced for our transgressions of Jesus, Isaiah 53. Bruised for our iniquities, Isaiah 53 right? Striped, by his stripes who are healed, Isaiah 53, all Old Testament. And they pull out which one? The first, second, or third piece? They pull out the second one, which represents Father, Son, Holy Spirit, represent the Son. And what do they do? They break it. Jesus is the bread of life who's come down from heaven, he said, who was broken for us. And then do they just break it and leave it there? No, they do what? They wrap it in linen, right? When Jesus was broken on the cross, they wrapped him in linen because that's what you do when someone dies and you bury them. And then they buried him. What do the Jews do every Passover? Then they bury it. They hide it somewhere. But those who came to Christ and found him were rewarded, right? We're putting their trust in to have eternal life. In the Jewish Passover, the most exciting moment for everybody is when the person who finds (laughs) the bread that's been wrapped, I found it. Woo, yeah, it's exciting. Guess what? They have no idea what they're doing. Jesus took that bread and he said, this is my body. He wasn't saying like Roman Catholics think, oh, this is my body, meaning when you eat this, you're eating my body. No, he's saying, guess what? This middle piece right here that has no leaven in it, that that came from up above like heaven, was broken and wrapped in linen and buried and found. This is my body. It's a picture of me. I'm the bread that's come down from heaven. Amen? Amen. So <laughs> what they were doing was celebrating the, the death of the, the, the Passover lamb because the death of the Passover lamb took was a substitute for their what? Firstborn, amen, the Jews, right? And <laughs> Jesus was a sacrifice for all of us, amen? And he t- t- takes the blood and says, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood. But notice, I want you to understand that when we celebrate communion, and this is important, because when you take communion, we should be very, very thankful. And it should be charged with meaning. It should be filled with meaning. So many scholars believe that Jesus, actually, it was an abbreviated Passover service that he had with them. And when we get together on Sundays, guess what? It's an abbreviated Passover service. We don't go through all the different meal. That takes like three hours or four or five or whatever, Right? Otherwise, man, you know, it'd be nice, but we do that once a year or so sometimes. But we go through an abbreviated form. But 
we have to get in the word. We, have to, we want to worship. We want to seek the Lord. So we have an abbreviated form at the end of the service. But it should be supercharged with meaning for you. Every Sunday, you should be, wow, this is so important, so meaningful. So that's why m- messages like this are really important. And celebrating the Passover on, on a, on a, on a once-a-year, or they don't have to do that. It doesn't command us to celebrate the, the Jewish Passover with Christ in it. That's just stuff. That's what we do. But by studying it and understanding what it is, then when you have the abbreviated form of the Passover, it has more meaning to you. Amen? Because you realize, wow, when he says, this is my body, that whole thing is going on, right? Now, I want to encourage you, because as we think, think about this and ponder the meaning, I want you to understand that Passover... Past, our, our communion service is a mini Passover service. It's the church's Passover. It's not like, oh, we do this instead of what the Jews do. No, Jesus is the ultimate Jew. Jesus is the Son of God, amen. He's the Mashiach, he's the Messiah, and he showed us the meaning of Passover, so we celebrate the true Passover, amen. We don't sacrifice, we don't eat lamb now. Why? Because the lamb was already crucified for us, amen. We don't sacrifice lambs. So we have the fulfillment of the Passover and we have the real Passover and the beauty of the Passover. I went to a uh, Jewish Passover with all Jews. I might have been there with one or two Gentiles that I went with probably like 35, 35 years ago or so before I was pastoring. And the person that gave the Passover could barely talk. Just bawled all the way through it because of just the beauty of Jesus and seeing. And the Jews were just so emotional because they understood. They're, they're Jews that knew Jesus. And they're, they're just torn up inside. They're like, wow, it's so beautiful. And our people are missing it, you know. And that's because if you go to the Jewish synagogue, you know, and they go through Isaiah, through temple, when they hit Isaiah 52 and 53, they purposely skip it because it's so clearly about Jesus. And there's a veil over their eyes right now. And it's not until Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, they turn to the Lord that that veil is removed. And one day it says, all Israel shall be saved. So Passover is a day of thanksgiving. It's a day of thanksgiving. In Luke 22, verses 17 through 20, when Jesus instituted Passover to the, for the church, it says, and when he had taken up, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave thanks. He said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is being given for you for uh, do this in remembrance of me. Now it's interesting. Passover was a day of what? Remembrance, right? But he's saying, hey, it's not about remembering the Exodus now. It's about remembering the deliverance that I'm bringing you because this cup is my body or this bread represents my body. This cup represented his, his, his blood. And the same way he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He was letting him know that he's the ultimate Passover lamb. It all pointed to him. So it wasn't just about history when they celebrated Passover. It was about prophecy. Amen? Now, it's interesting because the word here, thanks, is the Greek word, as I mentioned earlier, Eucharisteto. 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 and Eucharisteo is the word we get Eucharist from. And it simply is the Greek word used throughout the New Testament over and over again for thanks, thanksgiving, you know. That's why a lot of times people will call it, you know, communion, the Eucharist. They're basically saying it's the thanks. Saying, oh, we're celebrating the thanks. And sometimes I think using those Greek words, those fancy Greek words, Eucharisteo, sometimes get in the way of our understanding. I think it's important to explain the words I love to do that. I love to hear that. I love to read about Greek words. I love Greek stu- word studies. But sometimes when you communicate and people hear, people can hear, Euchar- we're celebrating the Eucharist. Most people, when they hear about celebrating the Eucharist, they hear that over and over and over again in certain churches, but they have no idea what Eucharist means. And it might be go further to say, we're celebrating the Thanksgiving. What's that? <laughs> it's supposed to be a time of Thanksgiving. Not strong to use the word Eucharist. I've used it before. Uh, and there's, you know, it's, it's a good word but it's a biblical word. But listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, when he was talking about them doing communion. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, notice that, 
He says, when he had given thanks, amen, he broke it and said, this bread, or this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. By the way, I love this because Corinthians is written in the 50s. Almost all the scholars, even liberal scholars, will say, yeah, this is one of Paul's, if not his earliest, one of his earliest letters. And, and guess what? He wrote it in the 50s. I think that's so cool because guess what? He's quoting from here, the Gospel of Luke. So it also shows you the gospel accounts. At least some of them were already written, right? If not all of them. I believe all of them except the gospel of John was written at this point. But it's interesting because Paul also says in Timothy, he says, you know, a worker is worthy of his wages and don't muzzle the ox that treads the corn. Well, he says the scriptures say that. Well, yeah, well, he's quoting the Old Testament. It says not to, you know, uh, muzzle the ox. Yeah, but he's also quoting from either Matthew or Luke. Because Jesus said, a worker's worthy of his wages. And he said, the scripture says, you know, he's quoting from the scripture. Well, what scripture? That could only be Matthew or Luke, right? It's, it's amazing. And I know, it's not in my notes. I'm just going off. To, I love that stuff. So it's just in my mind. I'm like, so cool, man. It shows you the word of God. The scripture is so valid because you know what they were saying 150 years ago? Oh, yeah, the, old, the New Testament writings weren't written until the second or third century, which is stupid, by the way. You know why? Because the early church fathers in the second century, in the early part, just after the first century, right, were quoting the Gospels all over the place, you know? So it's like, why were they even saying that? They already had evidence. But now, uh, you know, serious scholars, you know, the, the, they recognize the Gospels written much earlier than was thought. And, well, you have internal evidence from the Scripture itself. Back to Thanksgiving, though. But speaking of the early writings of church fathers, one of my favorite writings is the Didache. Didache is the means the teaching in Greek. And it's the, the teaching of the 12 apostles, it's also called. Because it was written anywhere from 70 AD in, in, in the days of the apostles to maybe a little bit later. Some have it latest, you know, from 70 to 120. We don't know exactly. But it was an early church writing that was contemporaneous with the early Christians. And you know what the Didache says? It's kind of interesting. In this writing, in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, But every Lord's day... Every Lord's Day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanksgiving. But every Lord's Day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanksgiving. Now, we don't do this because the Didache says that. We do. We get together and celebrate the Lord's Day because the Lord said to do this in remembrance of you. Amen. And Paul talked about how they would celebrate communion together and how to celebrate it. First Corinthians chapter 11, which I just quoted from. And if, in Corinthians chapter 16, Paul says, when you get together on the first day of the week, you know, talking about saving up so you can give uh, to the to churches, you know, uh, and so forth. So that was the day they met, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And it was a day of thanksgiving. And I, you know what? I just, I love that writing. I thought, I'm going to look at the Didache right there because it says so much about the early practice of the early church. And there it was, you know. And I've read it more, read, read that comment more than once. And the Didache is really worth reading. Uh, but, you know, we're supposed to continue to get together. We're supposed to get together and worship the Lord. But it's a time of thanksgiving. So when you take communion, there's a lot that should go through our hearts, as you're going to see. But it's a time, and it's important that we understand it, of thanksgiving. Because the sacrificial lamb, God himself became a man and gave himself for us. Is that worth thanking, being thankful for? Can you think, can you tell me something you should be more thankful for than God making you? And then God becoming a man and paying for your sins? How thankful should we be for that? I mean, Paul said a righteous man, somebody might dare to die for a righteous man. Might dare, right? It's rare, he said, though. Rarely, he said, will someone die for a righteous man. But while we were yet sinners, while we were criminals, while we were alienated from God, children of wrath, full of malice, I'm taking some of his other writings and mixing it with Romans 5. I'm taking some of Ephesians. But he also said that. Christ died for us. Amen? That's incredible love. Somebody might die for righteous man, but it's rare. But while we were sinners, he died for us. Amen? 
There's no such great love as that anywhere other than Christ. And, and it was for you. And it was for you. And we should be thankful. Lisa and I were witnessing to a gal near 3rd Street a few days ago and uh, in Santa Monica. And we shared with her for about a half an hour. And really nice gal. I think she's like maybe in her mid-20s or so. And I asked her, hey, do you, do you believe in God? You know, I start off different ways, but that's how I started that conversation. Sometimes I say, are you saved? And then they, they want to know what, what I mean. Oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so I get them to ask me the question next. What does that mean? Oh, thank you for asking. Let me explain. Hey, I don't like people shoving down my throat. Well, you asked me what being saved meant. <laughs> I'm kind of playing, but I, I'm kind of like that too. Uh, and I do do that. But anyway, uh, she said, well, which is so common. Her, her, her answer was so common. She seemed like a really nice gal, you know. And uh, she's articulate and nice. And she goes, well, I believe, you know, in a universal force, you know. And it's just like this force at work. And what you put in, you get back. And it's kind of like the laws, the laws of the universe and stuff. And just, you know. And, and I said, sounds kind of nebulous, you know. For a nebulous force to, or this impersonal force to give laws, though, doesn't it? I go, because if you look around... And, you know, it was on the streets. We're on the street, right? And there's all these lights. And I go, look at these stoplights, you know, no U-turn sign, all that. I go, would you believe it if someone said that was put there by an impersonal force? Or is it more likely that a thinking personal consciousness decided to put that there and make, put those laws there like human beings? And she said, well, yeah, it would be personal. And I go, yeah, well, <laughs> it would make more sense that the one who gave us these moral laws, because she had a sense of right and wrong, she admitted is a personal being that thought about it and put it there and that he and there's good and evil and then you know I went into the gospel and everything and shared the gospel with her and shared a lot of things with her and Lisa and I talked to her for like I said maybe half an hour and then she's like and I try to share with her how much God loves her and how he knows every hair on her head and how he cares so much for her and he gave herself for himself for her and just explained that to her and uh and left her, Lisa gave her a, a, a card because we had to get, but she gave her, a, I think, a Blessed Hope or Good Fight card and uh, encouraged her. And uh, we left. But we have a personal God who cares about us and not just cares about us. He says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Amen. But he cares about us so much that the penalty of sin that barred us from heaven and alienates us from him and others, he paid for. Amen. So we should be giving incredible amount of thanksgiving. But also notice the text says that Jesus, uh, the, the, our Christian Passover is not just a time of thanksgiving. Our Christian Passover is a time, so you should be giving thanks. When we take communion, we should be thank you, Jesus. But it also is a time of remembrance. Because Jesus said, do this what? In remembrance of me. So when we're doing it, we're remembering how much he loves us remembering what he did for us. We're basically preaching the gospel to ourselves when we take it. You realize that? We're like, this is all about what he did for me. Amen? If you have it with your children, I encourage you to take communion with your family at home at times. Pray about it, you know? But that could be a beautiful thing, you know? We've done that in my family from time to time. Just have communion, you know? And just celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Just a little matzah. It's not hard to do, right? A little grape juice. And you celebrate what he's done. And it's just so beautiful. It's a time to remember, a time of remembrance. And we need to remember not only who God is, but what he's done for us. Amen? Amen? We need to remember that. Because the Bible warns in 2 Peter chapter 1, I think it's such a powerful warning you hardly ever hear. It warns that you could forget that you were washed from your past sins. But guess what? If you're taking communion regularly, Guess what's going to happen? You're going to be remembering you were washed from your past sins and what he did. And because you're not just remembering, but it indelibly encourages you in the faith and helps your faith grow. How many of you want your faith in the Lord to grow? When you, when you do communion and you consider, you meditate upon, wow, this bread represents Jesus' unleavened body who was striped, beaten, whipped, pierced, bruised for me. And you do this in remembrance of him. Even as the Jews were called to take the 
first Passover, which was a picture of the ultimate Passover, to do it in remembrance of the deliverance they had. Why did God want them to do this in remembrance of them? Because he said, when you move into the promised land, and I give you houses you didn't build and fields you didn't plow and everything else, and I bless you with all that, I want you to remember what I did for you in taking you out of Egypt when you were under the heel of Pharaoh and oppressed. All right, you want you to remember the freedom that you've received. Amen? And so you don't forget that. Well, guess what? The Lord wants us to remember the freedom that we have. Amen? The freedom that we have in Jesus and remember what He did for us and not forget it. The Bible warns those who forget God. The nations that forget God will be turned into hell, it says. That's why you want to pray for our nation, our leaders. Amen? And the election is looking like Biden, but then something, oh, it might turn. Guess what, guys? The Lord is still on the throne, amen? amen. doesn't matter who's reigning and ruling here. We're not going to have this promised utopia. We, we get the kingdom which beats any man-made utopia, amen? amen? And he's coming. So we do this in remembrance of him and what he did on our behalf. And you know what? As awesome as the Passover was that they celebrated for 1,500 years, it pales compared to Christ, our Passover lamb. Amen? The lamb that they killed and the blood that they put on the doorpost was valuable enough in God's sight because it was only because it was a picture of Christ's blood. And those lambs had to be full grown. Amen? Jesus was a, a man. They had to be male. Jesus was a man. They had to be without blemish and inspected for five days. Jesus was inspected when he went into Jerusalem. It says they tried to find fault in him. And you look at the timeline, it was for five days. They couldn't. He was without sin. He was without blemish like those lambs. And in Exodus, it says a congregation raised up and slew those lambs. Well, guess what? Israel rose up and said, crucify him, crucify him. There's all these amazing pictures. And of course, again, I mentioned the blood on the lentil and the, the doorpost and the lentil was supposed to be put in those three spots, which is where Jesus' blood was on the cross. Isn't that amazing? Death angel would see that blood because it was a picture of what the Messiah would do later and he would pass over those. But guess what? It's important for us to keep in mind. He didn't just spare the firstborn in your family. How many of you can say, thank you? I was born second, third, or fourth. Right? Jesus died for each and every one of us. Amen? And it wasn't just a Passover lamb. We're talking about God in the flesh because the scriptures say that no one can redeem his own brother because the soul is very costly. Amen? How costly is it? The fa it's so costly that none of us can save our own brother. We have our own sins. I told that gal, like, I can't die for you. My wife can't die for me because we have our own sin. We need, who can die for us? I said, that's why God became a man. And that's what he did for each and every one of us. We have, it's for each of us. We have not only a, a more extensive atonement, but we have a substitutionary atonement that is, doesn't just cover our sins or keep the death angel from the firstborn in Egypt all those years ago, but takes away our sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And by the way, they were delivered from Pharaoh and his oppressive hands. We were delivered not from Pharaoh. We were delivered from Satan, a far more radical foe. Amen? Amen. We didn't just get delivered from Egypt. We got delivered from the world system and all its pollutions. Amen? We didn't just get delivered from the uh, wrath upon one person, but we got delivered from the wrath of God, the eternal wrath of God. Not temporal wrath in Egypt, but we, got, we were delivered from the eternal wrath of God that was due us because of Christ's suffering on the cross. So, Passover or the communion service or the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving, is not just, which is beautiful it is, a time of Thanksgiving. It's not also just a time of remembrance. It's important. We could just stop with either of those and they'd both be, one of them would be beautiful, but two are beautiful. But also, it's a time of koinonia. Koinonia is a Greek word for, that's a beautiful word, koinonia. It's a beautiful word for fellowship. I actually like the word koinonia more than the word fellowship, you know. I was kind of, was wigged out by that song. He's a jolly good fellow. I was like, I hate that song, you know. It just sounds so weird. But uh, fellowship, I, that's a good word though, because it comes from koinonia, which means to have things in common. And guess what? Ha! We have things in common and the word koinonia means communion we have communion with the lord who was the one that presided over the lord's supper jesus amen and it's with 
the Lord's Supper that he communed with them. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and where two or three gather together in his name, there he is in the midst of them, amen? He's with us, and he's with us. He, you look at the seven churches that he addresses in Asia Minor, that was just seven churches of, of scores and scores and scores of churches by the 90s when that was written, perhaps hundreds and hundreds at that time. And Jesus walked in the midst of those seven churches along with the others, but it shows how he walked in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. He said the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he would make their abode in our hearts. So Jesus is in our midst, and when we celebrate communion, and we recognize that he died for us, he substituted himself as a vicarious, uh, propitiating atonement, paying our sins on our behalf as our substitute. He did that. Why? So we could be reconciled with God. Amen? So we who were separated from God because of our sin and we're barred from not just heaven but barred from the Lord living in us and having communion with Him because our sin separated from Him from us when He died on the cross for us. It was so we could become one with Him. Amen? And He could live in our hearts and we can go be with Him forever for reconciliation. Amen? The gospel is about justification which is forgiveness, being declared righteous. It's about sanctification, making us more like Christ. It's about reconciliation, right? Being one with Jesus. And ultimately glorification, where we have resurrected bodies and our bodies are made like unto His. You know, even more, a further step in, in being in His presence. And right now it says, we don't yet know what He looks like, but when we see Him, we'll see Him as He is. And our bodies will be transformed by the exertion of His power into the image of His glorious body. How many can say, praise God for that, <laughs> you know? Amen. No more COVID, no more cancer, no more everything. No more sickness. But listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. It says uh, of the Lord's Supper that the cup of thanksgiving, it says. He calls it the cup of thanksgiving there. So it's the second time Paul used the word thanksgiving of the Lord's Supper. The cup of thanksgiving, he says, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, then he goes on, listen to this. The bread we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So we celebrate communion. We're confirming our faith in his blood and what he did for us on the cross, amen? And we celebrate communion and we partake of the bread and we partake of the cup. Is this not, Paul says, a participation in the body of Christ? Because in communion, we recognize what he did for us so we can become one with him. But also, we recognize that we're part of a family. Amen? And we have koinonia. We share things in common. Amen? That's why people trip out when they come to our fellowship, you know, and are part of this fellowship, or they visit the fellowship as to the joy and the unity and the love that we have. I've had a lot of the, a lot of the young people that are going here now have said, you know, over and over again, things like, I just, you know different things about the, the fellowship but one thing a lot of them talk about is the fellowship itself the koinonia how, how rich it is and how people love to share the gospel and they love each other and they're there for each other and, and it's a family you know and that's the way it ought to be amen we ought to be and we are a family we have koinonia because of what Jesus did so when we take communion it's not just a time of thanksgiving although that's huge it's not just a time of remembrance, although that's huge. And if you take away remembrance, you have nothing because that's what it's about, what he did for us. But it's also a time of participation with one another in Christ as part of the body of Christ, recognizing that we are all his hands and feet, that he wants to use each and every one of us. He wants to use you. You're not insignificant. The Bible talks about every part of the body is significant. And even those more comely parts of the body that may seem significant are important and even more important in many ways. It actually says more, or get more attention. So it's just interesting that this, the Lord wants you to understand that you are significant in His plan. And when we celebrate communion, you recognize, well, I'm part of the body. I'm part of a family. And I'm one with Christ. And that's something to celebrate. Amen? Celebrating with thanksgiving. Celebrating remembrance of what He did. Celebrating the fact that we are one body in Him. And all this is, to me, just so incredibly beautiful. You know, it's interesting because... Uh, <laughs> When you look at the various scriptures, you see that the uh, Passover service is also a time of anticipation. Okay? It's not just a time of thanksgiving and remembrance and participation, unification. It's a time of anticipation. 
And that's a huge part of it. And we need to keep that in mind. Because guess what? When we remember, we recognize he's taking care of our past sins. Amen? Amen. Happy is the one whose sins are not credited to them. Amen? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's something we rejoice in, that our past is forgiven. You know, millions and millions and millions of people right now are hung up over the past and things they've did and they hurt over it. Amen? But guess what? When you come to Jesus and you put trust in him, you recognize that you're forgiven for your past. It doesn't mean you won't still regret things that you did, but it's good to know that you're, not, you're declared not guilty. Amen? And the Lord's forgiven you. Amen? He's made you a new creation. He's allowed, you to let, uh, he's allowed you by his grace to make the last chapters of your life far better than the first chapters of your life. Amen? Isn't that awesome? I love that. I've, in counseling, I tell people that all the time because sometimes it's just really, really sad whatever's happened in their past. And I let them know, you have these last chapters you can write. Just make sure they're good. So you have a good legacy with your spouse. You have a good legacy with your, your, your kids. Make sure you live for Jesus. Amen? It's not how you start. This is important is how much, how good it is you what? Finish, amen? He that endures the end will be saved, amen? So whatever's gone on in your past, amen? Say, thank you, Lord. Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forward to those things that are ahead, amen? Do you think Paul had a past he'd rather not to happen? Yeah, because he said he was a chief of all sinners. He says he dragged people out and made them blaspheme against Christ. He says he was a violent aggressor, but he said he found mercy. The Lord had mercy upon him. And that God gave mercy to him to show others as a chief of sinners. He said to forgive, forgive me to show others that he could forgive them. And Paul was able to say, forgetting, forgetting the past, reaching forward to that which is ahead. Amen. Keep your eyes on Jesus. So we forget, we remember, we're forgiven of our past. Amen. We remember what Jesus did. Because guess what? The enemy's really good about bringing up your past. He's really good about trying to remind you of times you blew it. And he wants to debilitate you or he wants to maybe dangle the onions and the, 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 you know, the, the garlic and stuff from Egypt and says, hey, go back. And no, guess what? You keep your eyes on Jesus. And you remember what he did and what he went through for you. Then you realize how evil sin is. Amen? How bad sin is. It was so bad that God had to be, become a man and have his body just wiped out on the cross. That's how bad sin is. And you remember what he did for you and Satan has no power over you amen because your faith is in the son but guess what how do you take care of the past not only remember what jesus did but also looking forward to the future and anticipating what he's going to continue to do and communion has a lot to do with that as well how many anybody here thankful that you're forgiven for your past or is it just me i know i'm really really thankful amen and i'm, I'm i know a lot of you guys should be all oh, should be really thankful that i know you know <laughs> so and it's interesting because it is a time of anticipation Listen to what Paul said when he's writing about communion. And he, that's what he said. Jesus gave thanks and so forth, right? And then he says in chapter 11, verse 26, Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You're proclaiming what he did for you, the past. But guess what? Until he comes. When you're taking communion, you're, gonna, you're saying, hey, I'm doing this right now to remember his death and proclaim what he did for us. But I'm doing this until he comes. You're anticipating the future. You're doing, you're taking communion until he comes. When Jesus comes as in, and is in our midst, we won't take communion anymore. Why? Why won't we take communion anymore when he comes? Why won't we take communion to remember him anymore when he comes? Come on. Yeah, Annie. Preach it, Annie. He's there. Because he's right there in your midst. And I, when I take a trip, sometimes I used to, you know, I usually try to take my family and my wife with me on mission trips through the years. But I remember when I was in Israel almost two weeks, you know, went with uh, Chuck Smith and a bunch of Calvary chapels. And then uh, Ted Walker and Linda Walker had put together a, four or five churches I was supposed to preach at. So when they went back, I stayed. So I didn't see my family for a while. But it's great when you have pictures, you know. You remember them. But you know what? When I got off the plane and I see my wife and see the family, I think that might have just been Holly back then. But I love you so much, Holly. So you're, you're, you're still family. I don't go and look. I don't go and say, hey, it's great to see you guys. But then turn away and start kissing the picture. Amen? Why would I kiss the picture? I have them there. I give them big hugs and kisses. I miss you guys. Great to see you. I love you. 
you got to mow the lawn. It's really bad since you left. No, no. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> but it's just interesting because he'll be there. Right, Annie? He'll be there in our midst. Amen? The one who loves us. And guess what? We won't have to remember what he did in the sense of figure it out because guess what's going to be there with him? Yep, Jimmy, his scars. His scars are going to be there. In fact, after he rose from the dead in his imperishable, immortal, amen, body, we read in John 20, 25, the disciples had seen him, but Thomas hadn't seen him yet. And sometimes Thomas gets this rap because the doubting Thomas, you know. But Thomas is pretty radical. He just wanted to see what they saw, you know. And yeah, I'm not saying he didn't doubt, but earlier than this, when Jesus talks about, you know, going to a place where they tried to kill him, the disciples are like, all the disciples are like, we don't want to go there. You don't want to go there, Jesus. That's where they just tried to kill you. Thomas, you know what he said? Let's go with him and get killed with him. That's what Thomas said. Now, I'm not saying he went to have done a Peter when he got there, you know, you know, but he was, his heart was pretty much in the right place. But the other disciples at this point had seen the resurrected Christ. He hadn't. And we read that the disciples said, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands in the imprints of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Because they told him he's still got the scars. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Now that would be enough of a trip, right? Doors are all locked. They're huddled. They're hiding still, you know. And all of a sudden he appears, peace be with you. <laughs> I'm glad. You know why I said peace be with you? Because they're going to freak out. Yeah. Where do you come from? Peace be with you. And then we read. Then he said to Thomas, place your finger here and see my hands. So uh, he's pointing. He must be pointing where he stuck his hand out. Pl place your finger here. You know, uh, I just love this, you know. And uh, he said to Thomas, place your finger here and see my hands and take your hand and put it into my side. That shows, he didn't say take a finger. So take your hand and put it in my side. That means for that big javelin that went in, there was a gaping hole there that was healed. But Thomas could put his hand into his side. Now keep in mind, this is the body he has right now. This was the one he rose with. Amen. Put it in my side, and do not continue in disbelief, but be a believer. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And literally, it's not like the JW say, Oh, he was just excited. It doesn't mean he believed that he was Lord or he was God. It just means they were like, he was like saying, Oh my God. Wrong. And it can't be that because you know what the Greek literally says? And I've looked this up in the Greek. It's literally the Lord of me and the God of me. That's not an exclamation of, Wow, that's a, you are my Lord and you are my God. And by the way, that's the thesis of the Gospel of John because it starts off with, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, right? And everything was made by Him and nothing came to being but by Him. Then verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The whole point of the Gospel of John because he wrote it against the Gnostics is God became flesh, that Jesus is the Christ. In fact, right after this, it says many other signs that he did right after these verses I'm reading, many other signs Jesus did that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? Amen. So and that's, you know, the end of the Gospel of John chapter 20. Then there's one more chapter. So it's amazing, it's remarkable that this is put there at the end of the Gospel of John to emphasize the fact that Jesus is God. But for our sake in this teaching today, he still has those wounds. We won't have to take communion and look at a, an unleavened cracker to say, I remember what he did for me. He will be in our midst. Amen. Now, it's kind of weird because we don't know if Thomas stuck his hand in there or not. He doesn't say. I get the idea that he saw it. It was enough. <laughs> you know, because that would almost be like an insult. Make sure it's really a physical body, you know, not some trick, you know. But who knows? Jesus knows. Now, it's interesting because when we read these scriptures, uh, what they would do in the Passover service, they would have hymns at the end of the service, near the end of the service, then they would begin to sing songs of praise, songs of thanksgiving, 
And one of the psalms that they would sing would be Psalm 116. And some of the words go like this. It talks about how God has delivered me. God, you have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, and my foot from stumbling. So I'll walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Isn't that interesting that Jesus is singing those songs? Right? And it says in Hebrews chapter 5, when he was in Gethsemane, it says that he petitioned the Lord with strong crying. Loud crying, it says. That the Lord would deliver him from death. And then it says, and, the, and he was heard by the Lord because of his piety. And first time I read that as a younger Christian, I scratched my head like, what does it mean he was heard by the Lord? Because he went on to say, not my will, but yours be done. And he ended up dying on the cross for us. And I believe the text is best understood in that ultimately, guess what? He conquered death, amen? He was delivered from death ultimately. And he was praising God in the land of the living because he's the resurrected Lord, amen? amen. And it's just amazing when you think about it because I know, I believe 100%, the reason we are to anticipate his coming in light of, we, so it's Thanksgiving for sure. It's a time of remembrance for sure. It's all these different things we talked about. It's a time of participation and unity in Christ. All these are celebrated during communion. But guess what? When we hold up the Lord's Supper, we hold up the bread, it is a time of anticipation because we'll do this until he comes. And you know what Jesus said? He said when he gave communion to them and he took the cup with them, or they took the cup he passed out. He said, and there was different cups, the cup of redemption, right, so forth. It's, he said, I will not drink this cup of the fruit of the vine again with you until I do it with you in my Father's kingdom. What's he saying? You've had this incredible participation with me here. He's going to be with them in spirit. He already said that in John 14, 15, and 16, right? Before you get to 18, when he talks about, uh, in the other place in Scripture, where he talks about the meaning of communion, he's talked about how he's going to be with them forever and so forth. Amen? But guess what? At this point, he sings a song with them. He's in Gethsemane and so forth. But before he goes to Gethsemane, during communion, he says, I will not drink the fruit of the vine with you again, this fruit of the vine, until I do it with you in my Father's kingdom. So with Paul saying, we continue to do communion until he comes, when Jesus says, he won't drink again with his disciples until it's in the Father's kingdom. The communion service anticipates the coming of Christ and his glorious kingdom. Amen. Which you will be part of. Isn't that amazing? So it's also a great time of anticipation. And we will see him there. In fact, go to Revelation chapter 5 where you have a great picture of why you won't have to do communion when he comes. Because the one that it points to will actually be there. And you have a great time of praise and worship because why would they be singing songs at communion? Why would the Jews be singing songs at Passover? Because they're celebrating their deliverance. Amen? Amen? When we celebrate communion, it's not just a somber thing. It is in some levels because Jesus had to die for us. But it's also a time of song. It's a time of praise. It's a time of celebration because he set us free. Amen? But the but the, all of creation, it says in Romans chapter 8, longs to be delivered from, the, from a, the place of bondage that's in right now. You know that. And when he comes, there'll be the manifestation, it says, the sons of God at the resurrection of Christ. So we're still waiting. We, we're set free from our sins, amen? But we're not set free from these bodies. Paul talked about these wretched man that I am, these, these, these bodies that we live in that are subject to death, Amen? And how we to beat the old body, man, beat the body down and deny the old man and so forth. We get, when Jesus comes back, it's total emancipation, you know, from the flesh and we get our new bodies. Amen. So we have all kinds of reasons to anticipate. But look at Revelation chapter 5. And we read in verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And the one who sits on the throne is a father. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals. Because these seals, I believe, open up the rest of the book of Revelation to be fulfilled and, and reveal the ultimate consummation of the ages of new heaven new earth where the Lord reigns over everything. And breaking the seals initiates the judgments that bring in the kingdom. And who is worthy Verse 3, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. 
Then I, that's the Apostle John, began to weep greatly. Strong crying. Because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Jesus is lion of the tribe of Judah that was prophesied. He was from the tribe of Judah in which the Messiah was to come. Verse 6, And I saw between the throne, right after he says this, it's so dramatic. I saw before the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. He sees a lamb standing as if what? Slain. Slain. Do you think they have to do communion at that point? No. No, they see the Lamb of God and he still in his resurrected state bears those wounds. By the way, these are great scriptures to share with Jehovah's Witnesses because Jehovah's Witnesses teach that when Jesus rose from the dead, he really didn't rise from the dead bodily. He's just a spirit. But Jesus said to his own disciples, you know, not only to Thomas, see, put your fingers in my wounds, put your hand in my side. When they saw him, they first saw him, they were shocked. They thought they'd seen a ghost. And Jesus says, see, that is me, that I am flesh and bone. I am not a spirit. He just blurted out, clear to us. Amen? Amen. And right here in Revelation, in his glorified state, he be- appears as a lamb that has been slain still. Amen? Amen? By the way, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll rise it up. Then the next verse, that's in John chapter 2, verse 19, 20. The next verse says, and when he destroyed this temple in three days, I'll rise it up. They said, oh, it took care this long to build this temple. And he said, and then it says, he spoke of the temple of his body. Amen? Amen. That's what he rose up. I lay it down. I take it back up again. Happy day. Celebration. Verse 7. And he came, that is Jesus, and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Woo! He took it out of the right hand of the Father because he's at the right hand of the Father. Now he's standing and he takes the, th- the book. And the father doesn't pull it back and say, who do you think you are? Yes, you're my son. Why? Because Jesus gave himself for us. Amen. And he was the only one qualified to open the book and initiate the judgments to bring in the kingdom. Then verse 8. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures. Now here's the songs of praise. The four living creatures. That's the cherubim. The four different faces. And six wings. Two with which they hide their face. Two with which they fly. Two with which they have over their feet. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before who? The Lamb. Each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. By the way, who leads the worship in heaven? The four living creatures. Starts with them. Then it spreads throughout heaven. Then it spreads throughout the cosmos. The cherubim were the worship leaders. By the way, Satan is a fallen cherub. Ezekiel 28. That's why you should be really concerned about the music you listen to. We have proof. Watch our video. They sold their souls for rock and roll. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain. This is why he's worthy. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Amen. And in the oldest manuscripts, it's they, they, they. They're not singing. These angels aren't singing about being redeemed. He didn't die for angels, it says in Hebrews 2. He died for this, uh, the, the children of Abraham. Amen. He died for the people. Verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. So now this praise and worship goes to many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. Myriads and myriads is the biggest number you got. So he just like, over and over again, he says this, right? So we understand he can't even count these angels. There's so many. Verse 12, same with a loud voice. Same with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb. They're worshiping Jesus. Angels are worshiping Jesus, absolutely. You can only worship God. When Satan, a fallen angel, said Jesus to worship him, he said, nope, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and worship him only, amen? The Bible warns against worshiping angels. Colossians chapter 2, elsewhere in Scripture. Jesus isn't some angel. He's the God-man, and he's being worshipped. And, and twice, John, they try to worship, John tries to worship angel twice. Once an elder, once an angel. Both times he stopped. Don't worship me, worship God. Jesus does not stop this worship from going on because he's the God-man. Amen. 
saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13, And every created thing which is in heaven, and every created thing which is in heaven, and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne, that's the Father, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. They're great worship leaders. Amen. And the elders fell down. And what? Worshipped. Don't let anybody ever tell you Jesus is not God. Amen. But guess what? It's not just a time of thanksgiving. It's not just a time of remembrance. It's not just time of participation or communion. It's not just a time of unification or participation. And it's not just a time of anticipation, right? We're anticipating His coming. It's a time of celebration, amen, of what Jesus has done for you. And brothers and sisters, we get excited. I like Thanksgiving Thursday. And we get excited about it on different levels. But guess what? We have something better every Sunday. We have Thanksgiving Sunday, amen? Would you agree that Thanksgiving Sunday trumps Thanksgiving Thursday? Amen. And some of you are saying, yeah, it, it sure does. Theologically, I mean, it all makes sense. I should get more excited. But what about the food? <laughs> I'm glad you asked because I thought about that myself. And there's a great answer. Woo, wow. Watch this. It's going to be the best Thanksgiving you ever had. Amen. Lord, help me finish this. <laughs> oh, I got a minute to go, hopefully. Uh, well, because remember, Jesus says, I won't eat this or drink this cup, the cup of the fruit of the vine with you until when? My Father's kingdom, amen? Well, guess what? His Father's kingdom is coming. This is in Luke twenty-two eighteen. 18. Jesus said, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. But listen to what it says in Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 11, verse, or chapter 8, verse 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You talk about family getting together, and there's going to be no Newsom saying you can't get together with your family. <laughs> nope, sorry. Says the, right after that, says the sons uh, that, of the kingdom will be cast in outer darkness, those that aren't following him. Newsom better get right with Jesus. Otherwise, he's going to miss the best Thanksgiving ever. And guess what? There's gonna, it's going to be awesome because guess what it's going to be like? You know that song? Anybody, how many love the song that this is the one we've waited for? This is the one we've... Remember that song? It's one of my favorite songs. Where's Tony? We've got to do that song. That's such a beautiful song. This is the one we've waited for. But guess what? It's written in, in, on the basis of Isaiah chapter 25, which is called the mini Olivet Discourse. It's about the end times and about when the kingdom comes. And listen to what it says when it happens, when Jesus comes back and we meet him in the air and we see him who's pierced and guess what? They're going to weep for him but people, the, the, many of the Jews will uh, be saved and washed and we're going to reign with him and guess what's going to happen? That passage where many will come from the east and the west to share in the bank with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to have a family reunion and guess what's going to happen? There's going to be some yummy food there. Verse 6. Now the Lord of armies will prepare a lavish banquet. Now, when somebody pairs a banquet, that's one thing. When it's a lavish banquet, that's another thing. When the Lord does it, that's altogether amazing, right? For all the peoples of this mountain where we're reigning from, a banquet of aged wine, choices, choice pieces with morrow. Okay, there's still going to be meat at that time. It's not the new heaven, new earth yet. So we get that thousand years to munch out on some meat. And refined aged wine. And the mountain he will, now check this out. And on this mountain he will destroy the covering which is over all the peoples, the veil which is stretched over all the nations. What's that? He will swallow up death for all time. That's quoted in 1 Corinthians 15 at the resurrection when he comes. This is when that happens. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all their faces. All the faces. Looking forward to that? How many got some hard times you're going through? Painful times. All the tears get wiped away. And he will remove the disgrace of his people from the, all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, because it's the day that Jesus is coming back. Behold, this is our God, because Jesus is God. Amen. This is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord, Y-H-W-H, Tetragrammaton, Yahweh, for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The ESV, English Standard Version says, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. 
and that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Praise God. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, has not entered in the heart of man what God's prepared for us. But guess what? Paul says we give thanks to God for the indescribable gift. 1 Corinthians 9.15. He's the indescribable gift. Amen. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9.15. And I love that. Paul calls it the indescribable gift. Christ. And I love it because Paul is about as eloquent as a person who ever lived. He's using Koine Greek, which is one of the most expressive languages. And the Holy Spirit is the one that's using Paul and says, indescribable. That's basically the Holy Spirit saying, your, even the Greek language doesn't do justice to who Jesus is and what he's done and how much of a gift you've received. So hey, guess what? Sunday morning isn't just Thanksgiving. It's Christmas too. We celebrate the indescribable gift. Amen? And we celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm telling you guys, I'm encouraging you guys right now to make sure you recognize all these things that we just talked about when you celebrate communion. I was just uh, recently talking to a gal who listens to our podcast and uh, newly came to the Lord like six months ago. And she was saying, she was gushing tears, bawling. And I started bawling and crying with her a number of times through the conversation because she was talking about how my life's changed. You know, I was in bondage to sin for so many years and now Jesus lives in me and I came to Christ and I thought he would never accept me and I, and I was in the midst of all these trials and I had a joy I didn't, couldn't understand and I still have that joy that I didn't even, she never, she couldn't fathom that it exists and it was such a beautiful thing. It just brought me to tears over and over again and she goes, I'll listen to your messages and she goes, throughout the day, she goes, it'll take me three hours to get through a message because I'll listen to a message and I'll take copious notes. You know, I, I just study. I'm a real student of the word. And, and she's quoting scriptures and stuff, you know. And, and she was saying, you know, that I didn't know how to fight the enemy because I'd be attacked when I was in, you know, first getting a, coming a Christian. And, but I was just trusting the Lord. And I didn't know many verses, but I knew I was supposed to quote verses. I'd be like, Jesus wept. <laughs> I was trying to quote any verse I could think of, you know. And it was just so hilarious, but so beautiful at the same time of how the Lord saved her and how she's grown. And I thought, brothers and sisters, it's so awesome seeing someone come from death to life. Amen. And it's, and it, it, it's more moving than anything I know is seeing new life. Amen. We have new life in Christ because of what he did for us. It's a time of not just anticipation, but celebration. Let's stand up and pass out the communion and let's celebrate what Jesus has done for us with, with all the things we just talked about in mind. Amen. As we take communion. Thank you, my brother. Amen. Praise the Lord.